I'm Danny Kurth. Alex Lindley. We're with Project Wake Up, and uh, let's go outside the law. This is Outside the Law with your hosts, Vince Taumina and Ryan Krupp. Welcome to Outside the Law, a very special edition. None of us have jackets on today. It's pretty nice, actually. To be very cool. Without my sport cut on, I look kind of casual, kind of cool, kind of You're gonna say whatever. Sexy, yeah, yeah, I was going to say sexy, I but I chose not to say sexy. Um, we're joined today by two great guests, uh, Alex Lindley, Danny Kurth, two guys who have started this really, really for the past five years. Was it five years? Five now? years. Yeah. yeah, five years they started this, uh, this organization called Project Wake Up, and we're really excited to have these guys here today. I've known Danny for 15 years, you were just saying. 15, sixth grade, man. Is that crazy? Yep. Sixth grade? Yep. That was 15 years ago. Those were some weird like times. this month. Those were some really <laughs> awkward times. I want to see the transition of hairstyles throughout the 15 years, because I, I don't believe you had the flow the whole time. You I, had to have had man, some change-ups. Life would have been a lot better if I did. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think at one point I had, I know for a fact in eighth grade, I had uh, braces, glasses. I was fat, and I had like... Justin Bieber hair, like oh, flat yeah. across. That the was cool. Though. That was the look. Yeah. yeah, that was really. And I wore glasses. Every Alex, now Alex and then doesn't too. agree. It was beautiful. That's Chaminade versus Dismet right there. I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm honorary Dismet. My dad, my cousins, my uncle, everybody went to Dismet, and then I went to public school, and they're like. Uh, Ryan and their side of the family just joined a cult. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like the yeah. Coriezu crew too. And, yeah. and it, it was weird enough when my cousins went to uh, Narinx, I believe, mm-hmm. and not Coriezu. That, that kind of got was the that Catholic a big deal, family. Really? Oh, yeah, the yeah. Catholic family was whispering. Back I mean, then. Catholic <laughs> schools in St. Louis is just such a weird phenomenon and how competitive it is. And it's a status thing. It's, it's the oddest thing. It is the oddest thing. And I'm, I'm, how do you all know each other? I've heard of, I've known. Of Alex Lindley and heard the name Alex Lindley. I Amos. feel like since I've known Danny and everybody, but I don't think we ever met in high school or anything like that at all. But I've always known like of this spirit, this presence, <laughs> of the Alex great Lindley. Alex. Yeah, Lindley. and it wasn't uh, until a few months ago we when met I him actually together. Finally met. Yeah, yeah we yeah, were together. Met him at the Cardinals, Cardinals game, game with yeah. Ben Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what's your all's history together? Uh, Danny and I. I mean, we knew each other. As far back as probably middle school, right? Probably. Yeah. Cross paths. Cross paths through mutual friends. Danny, you know, was good friends with a lot of the smack guys. And then we really started our friendship in college, you yeah. know, through, through this project. And he lived next door at Beta, that giant, massive <laughs> country club of a frat house. Yeah, take, take us back to the Mizzou days, because I missed out on all of that going to Holy Cross. Give me the Mizzou rundown. It was it was nice being neighbors, you know. Yeah. I mean, we had we had Sigma Chi and Beta right next to each other, but um, you know, I think going back to like the '90s, early 2000s, it was it was a lot more aggressive. Where like you know, you'd actually get in fights with your with your opposing fraternities. <laughs> but we actually had a much better relationship, I think, minus like I think one car got stomped on. But other than that, uh, Beta, and, <laughs> Beta and Sigma Chi were, were pretty close to each allegedly, other. Allegedly, so. yeah, right? Yeah. Exa- allegedly, of Who course. Who stomped yes. on whose car? What was the which which fraternity was at fault? Allegedly. All I know is that our guys were collecting the insurance checks. So that's all <laughs> I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course they were. Right. Of course. They, see, there's still that. There's still that little rivalry there. Oh, it'll always be there. Yeah. But at least we were able to make good friends out of this. Right. Right. And so, what what are you guys doing now? I know Alex is an attorney here. He's got a new job, really. Right. Yeah. yeah. Give us a shout out. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank that's you, a big deal. Thank you. I just uh, just started at McCarthy Leonard Camera. Okay. Um, it's you know general practice firm. They do a bit of everything. Um. Probably like focusing on uh, civil litigation, doing some employment, some business stuff, kind of everything. But sure. it keeps it exciting. Um, and you're Ryan last year. You went to SLU, right? SLU Law, yeah. SLU Law, you just graduated last yeah. year. It's only Can been you believe a year. it's been only a year? Uh, I I just had like a horrific flashback to yeah. sitting in Columbia for that bar. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That was, was a week ago, yeah. a, or a year and a week yeah. ago. Um, just, just recalling how miserable that experience was and, yep. and how sorry I feel for other kids who had to sit for it. I was, I was, I was sitting and talking to a gal who just took it and I was telling her, you know, she had the same experience as I did where the first day, which was the essays, you come out of it and you're like, 
I freaking nailed it. I'm going to pass this thing. It's going to be easy. Oh, At yeah. least I felt that way. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm on top of the world right now. Bar exam my ass, you know? <laughs> and then uh, the next day, you get yep. the multiple choice. 200 multiple choice <laughs> questions. And That'll kill your confidence. Yeah, I failed this damn thing. It's over. <laughs> I'm not, not going to have a job. It's going to be terrible, you know? Yeah, but I, you came out on top. I did come out on top. Yes, <laughs> always. Yeah. Always. Yeah, always on top. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's not well, good for that. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, no. Oh, well, sure. Actually, my name Vince Vincent means conqueror. So yeah, I did. I conquered the bar exam. There you, you know, go. Lived up to my own name <laughs> reputation. Well, let's they, talk about let's talk about what you got. How you guys really got together and collaborated on this uh, project, Wake Up, in the first place. You know, you go back several years, five years running now. So yeah, it's just under five is when Alex brought us together. But that's that's definitely his story to tell. All right, yeah. let us in, man. Well, I unfortunately had already lost a friend to suicide in college. Uh-huh. Um, she was a beautiful Koryezu grad and really a light in so many people's lives. And we were 19 years old when we woke up to those string of phone calls, and we didn't really know how to deal with it. Um, it was, for most of us, the, the first tragedy we've ever experienced, and certainly the first suicide for almost all of us. Sure. Um, and suicide is obviously a topic that mysterious and uncomfortable and hard to talk about so that's kind of what we fell victim to um, when we were just 19 and we didn't really talk about it and I wish in hindsight that we had um, I wish that we would have been more open about it and, and able to really talk about if we're struggling or going through things that Carolyn may have been going through um, and we didn't and in yeah. 2014 we lost Ryan Candace, who was legitimately the last person I ever would have worried about. Yeah. And I was worried about my friends after losing Carolyn. I was, you know, researching warning signs as much as I could and trying to make sure that everybody was okay. But I didn't see that coming. And that really, truly, no pun intended, woke me up uh-huh. to the fact that we need to do something about this. Yeah. And that sort of action formed and kind of Put a, put a fire under my ass of, of, of why are we not talking about this? Why can somebody like Kim not feel comfortable reaching out? When you do reach out, how come you're getting denied? How come these act, these services aren't available? These resources aren't available? It's taking a lot of people's lives. So I kind of finally landed on the idea of uh, a documentary film. I, I, to this day, don't really know how I came up with it, but that's where it started. Um, wanted to use Ryan's story because Ryan was, like I said, the last person you'd expect, uh-huh. the most popular kid I've ever met. Well, let's, talk, let's talk about Ryan a little bit because you know Ryan went to Chaminade for sixth grade, right? And I and I have him. I remember Ryan. I remember him. I, I I knew of him growing up, and of course he went away. I forget where he went to school after it's he left. Parkway Chaminade. West. Parkway West. That's, That's where right. our story starts. That's right. So let's talk about Ryan then because I know when I it's been five years ago this past summer, right? Was it mm-hmm. July? June nineteenth. Yeah. June nineteenth. I remember that day, and I was working down at a warehouse, and I heard that he had had died, and it, it did. I didn't hadn't seen him, didn't talk to him probably in ten years, mm-hmm. you know, nine ten years. But it still rocks you because whenever you hear someone that your age dies, it's really a devastating thing. You know, my sister's going through that right now with someone that died, and it's really devastating. You know, it hits you. And I just have memories of him doing whatever in middle school. So let's talk about him and how you all knew each other and what that story is like and, yeah. and your relationship. So Ryan, he went to Chaminade, I, I guess, was it just sixth grade? It was just, just sixth, sixth grade. grade, yeah. And I was over at Parkway West. Um, you know, it was my first year in that big public middle school. Um, I became the quarterback of the football team, Mr. Hotshot. I thought I was the... The coolest guy in town. In seventh grade, yeah. And then seventh yeah. grade started, and on the first day of school, a kid showed up with those Bieber Bama bangs. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, I suddenly wasn't hot shit anymore. It was, yeah. it was Ryan. Everybody yeah. wanted to know who this guy was. All the girls liked this guy. He's a cute little kid. Yeah, he's a cute yeah, he's guy. Good, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah. It, um, so, I mean, an, initially, our, our friendship started off, it was actually a rivalry. We didn't mm. really like each other. He took the girl that I had a crush on, mm-hmm. and... He took all of the, uh, the, the the attention, and everybody just thought this guy was the coolest guy. But only a couple months later, um, I was just like, this guy's too cool to, to be rivals with. And, and we just started hanging out, and we didn't stop. Yeah. 
you know, we grew up together. Um, middle school on, he followed me over to DeSmet. I, I don't think that was his initial plan, but he realized that um, the, the athletics there, I think, were a bit higher than they were at Parkway, and uh, he wanted to be a part of that. And he came over, and we went to high school together, we went to college together, and then, I'll, you know, I mean, we, we became as close as we could be. Yeah, so. yeah. And I, I know you guys had a close relationship, uh, and, that, and it was obviously it's devastating for everybody. And you say when it you said earlier it woke you up, not you know not just uh, say the t- title of your of the documentary, but it woke you up, and you had to do something. And how did you act uh, towards the what is eventually now this documentary? What what, did, what steps did you take? Well, after after I came up with the idea, I was really reluctant to share it. Um, it it was something that nobody had really thought to do. No one would ever think, why well, let's make a documentary about someone who just took their own life and, and, and sort of make that change. So I didn't really want to share it. But I eventually just kind of let it go and, um, and emailed it out to a few people, asked the Candace family for permission if we could go forward with, you know, starting this whole organization behind Ryan's name and memory. And once I got that permission, I was more comfortable telling my friends about it. And that's where Danny and, and, and all of them come into play. We sat down in, I think, October of, of 2014, and I just laid out sort of a, a model and a plan of what this is going to take to make a film that keeps Ryan's memory alive and starts a conversation about mental health. And you're a senior in college. Yeah. Yeah. You're 21, 22. How old were you at that time? 20. 22. Yeah, 22. That's And you'd never done anything. I know Danny had worked some. We did some stuff in middle school and, and high school, some with like production and, and newspaper, and man. Newspaper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> newspaper and stuff like that. And so Danny kind of had that background. Do you have that background at all? Have you done no. anything even remotely like making a documentary? I mean, he was he was the Vine legend. Do you guys remember Vine? Oh yeah, yes. yeah. This this guy can make vines Vine, like yeah. nobody's business. <laughs> really? so, what, was his, you know, what was his number one Vine? What was one of the things he used to do? Uh, you remember? Oh, I, th- I think my favorite's the State Farm one, but I don't know if we can bring that one up on the air. No, it shouldn't be. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Vine is dead. Leave it in the past. Exactly. We'll leave that. We yeah. don't want, we don't want to talk about Vine. <laughs> yeah, just like the app is gone, so is the memory. Okay. Except uh, for your popularity from it remains. Yeah. We still in one person. In one exactly. He was he was the actually the only follower I had. Um, but no, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I would make movies on my grandpa's video camera or, you know, make vines or things like that, but no hardcore production background or anything like that. Right. You had no idea what this would take. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. In fact, I think I thought we could do it for like $10,000. Yeah. Which is (laughs) embarrassing. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, let's talk about that because you originally, as I understand it, did raise $10,000 pretty Pretty shortly yeah, after. Overnight. Yeah. We, yeah, so we essentially put together a GoFundMe page, and we shot this video that was completely makeshift, you know, filmed on an iPhone, edited with the most basic Apple software. That, yeah. yeah. And um, overnight, you know, we put this out, and the power of Facebook, it, it reached tens of thousands of people and turned into tens of thousands of dollars. And so that ten grand turned into about thirty grand over, what would you say, about a month or so? Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, um, you know, we connected with one of our friends, another one of our mutual friends from Chaminade, Andrew Barry, um, who said that this is something that we need to get in front of a guy named Nate Townsend, yeah. who I was familiar with um, in high school, but he was studying out at Loyola Marymount for – um, for film school at the time. And so we were able to use that budget to connect with him. And he basically said at that point, you know, this is not enough to film a feature length documentary, obviously, but I want to come to Mizzou. I want to capture this story and let's create a teaser that we can at least use as a proof point to start raising the additional funds we need to make a real documentary. What was the original group of people who were involved in this like? So you were all college kids, right? You're all seniors at Mizzou and this I pre- when did you film that with the iPhone? When did you raise that ten thousand plus? Is that November? shortly? It yeah. was November fourteenth. I want to say it went up like late November, de- early December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you all pretty much got a little, you know, a little council together. Basically, how many people were? It was like twenty-five to thirty, actually. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the power of of grief is strong, and there were so many people s- seriously affected by Brian's right. passing. So it was, you know made up of generally Ryan's and my close group of friends who mainly were in Columbia at the time, a lot of them still in St. Louis too. And then we had folks who were just very passionate about the issue 
Danny, for instance, right. who came along. Right. Um, so it was a very big coalition at, at the start, and that's what it was. It was we, we came up with this game plan, and the first step was we need to raise some money. So we created that just low-budget commercial, but it was incredibly effective, mm-hmm. I think, right. seeing 20-some kids you know, asking for help to make a change. And there can't be anything more powerful than the raw you know, desire to – Make this happen. I mean, that's the emotion driving it, right? And and the start and the starting point that it creates. Yeah. And everybody's wounds were still so fresh at that point that you could really see that in the video. That this wasn't just you know let's make this documentary. It's we we need to do something about this, and this is our this is our call to action for everybody else. And and there had never been anything else, as far as I know. And I remember I remember watching, and you probably remember too, and at Shamanan High School watching those videos about suicide prevention and stuff like that. And they were absolutely horrific. Yeah, they're just, they're, you know, very vague PSAs and you don't really get anything out of it. And it's just, oh, this is another assembly that I have to go to because when when it doesn't affect you personally or you don't really understand everything behind it, you know, nobody in those PSAs is saying it's okay to talk to people. It's, right. it's, it's a lot broader than that. And so to give kids the permission nowadays right. that it's okay if you're hurting and you can go talk to somebody, that's the difference that we're making well, is breaking down that stigma. Right, and the focus of those PSAs, if I remember correctly, was with people who weren't having suicidal thoughts or depressive thoughts being able to spot those who were. And it wasn't about those people who were suffering those, those thoughts to come out in the open and actually discuss it to help prevent it. It was more about the people on the outside looking in and not the people on the inside looking out and trying to talk openly about their suffering and the pain and the depression that they feel or the anxiety that they feel, right? And that's what's different about what you all set out to do because as part of, we had a private screening that we saw uh, last Thursday and um, part of it is people telling their stories. And is that was, was that always the focus of the documentary and the project no it was it was gonna be ryan's life and at a certain point raising this money and talking to nate and figuring out what we wanted to do with this you know admittedly i think what two years ago at this point we're still like we don't know what we're gonna do with this documentary because you can boil the ocean on this topic so quickly but how do you condense that into 90 minutes but we kind of came together and eventually realized it has to be people from very diverse backgrounds to show that this that mental illness does not discriminate by any demographic whatsoever, and it affects people from all walks of life in the United States in the exact same way. And so to capture those points of people from completely different backgrounds, upbringings, experiences, and to say that they've all been affected by this in a certain way was able to at least hopefully get the audience to latch onto one piece of one story. Because not everyone in some way or another has been touched by suicide, right? It's, It's prevalent, very prevalent in our society. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to discuss it. But everybody in some way has had that um, person in their life or someone that they're connected with die by suicide. And I want to maybe, before we even go into the documentary and go into some of the more interesting stuff about how you all raise money and go into actually doing this, I want to give some statistics because it's really devastating to hear some of these these things and it's, it really kind of puts into context the importance of what you guys have been doing so um, this is all from the national institute of health suicide is the second highest cause of death for those between the ages of 15 and 34 in this country um, it's the 10th leading cause nationally uh, between 2001 and 2007 there's been a Huge double-digit increase in the rate of suicide in the country. It's highest among Native Americans and white folks like us, especially white men. It's one of the leading causes of death of white men right now in this country. It's focused mostly in rural states. And in the movie, you all talk about Utah. Um, That's one of the places you all visit and speak to people there. It's mostly from firearms. Um, 10.5% of adults. This is kind of startling to me. A whole 10.5% of people between the ages of 18 and 25 have had suicidal thoughts. I mean, almost 11% have had suicidal thoughts in the country. It's something, it kind of goes back to wh- what you said is, we don't talk about it. I don't sit around talking about, talking to Vince, because it doesn't affect us every day, necessarily, you know. It, it's not something that maybe myself, I'm always thinking about. But look, you know, it's, 
it's obviously out there, and that's what you guys captured in the documentary from all walks of life. And we talked about Utah. I would never have known about Utah and, and the you know the suicide rates in Utah uh, and, and just around the country. And you think about in you know white males, and you think about your demographics, but you don't think about just in your own backyard too. Yeah, I mean, to me it was really fascinating looking at you know where we privately screened it there were five separate theaters anywhere from like 75 to 130 seats and so you bring up that 10.5 percent statistic of people with suicidal thoughts and it's like you can say there's a good chance that you know seven to 13 people in this in this theater have had those thoughts and so to bring people together that have either directly experienced it or 99.9 percent of the chance have known somebody who has experienced that i think to to have them see this all at the same time is really powerful, and it kind of, you know, again, no pun intended, wakes them up to the epidemic that's happening. Right, because you don't know who in that room has had those thoughts. Right. And let, let me back you up here. You know, we talked about raising the money and then getting the director uh, involved from California at the time. Uh, I want to know how you transition into really getting at this full full-length feature documentary you know you you were, we're still at starting to raise the money I mean yeah how much did you raise before it was all said and done oh man so where we were there at that point is only a year into our journey um, that was just the beginning and we're all still in college at that point yeah we had I mean when that short a teaser whatever you want to call it when that launched we had just graduated college and we were almost ready to file for a nonprofit status. We'd already incorporated and, and got that status in Missouri, but we needed a 501c3. Right. And, you know, that's that's no easy task to get on your first try, and we did. So by July of 2015, we finally were a true nonprofit organization. And we had a long way to go because all the money that we had raised, we'd spent on that teaser. So we needed to raise what was told to us to be between 150 and $200,000 for production of a full-length documentary. And we were at you know the beginning, starting. So we spent nearly four years mm-hmm. raising that money. Um, Graduation helped us a lot in the sense that we were all back to St. Louis and we could all, you know, we had jobs, but this was our passion project. And so we were able to, you know, take our spare time and focus on events and focus on, you know, things that we could bring people out to. And we were just, you know, it's certainly a testament to Ryan that we've had no problem ever bringing people out to events and we've essentially sold out everything that we've ever done. What was your strategy? What were your thoughts? What what, what sort of events were you all thinking of initially that could help? raise some money for this project. St. Louis, man. Trivia Nights. Yeah. It's the best fundraiser if you do it correctly. It's got a very low overhead and you can really pack people in. And I feel like it might be the only city in the country that does this sort of massive. At least the Trivia Nights. Yeah. I mean, you talk, if I tell anybody from out of state, you know, we had 700 people at a Trivia Night, they're puzzled because they only imagine some bar trivia, three rounds with, you know, some wacky dude up there giving out free drinks to the round winners and we had like a massive fundraising event and that's only a product of st louis there are literally people who like do trivia night circuits every season they have like trivia nights every weekend so we were lucky to latch onto that so our strategy from the get-go was let's see how many people we can fit inside this mess gym yeah and I think that number was 600 or something. 650, I think the first, or yeah, maybe 600. The first fundraiser, first, first trivia fundraiser, night, yeah. yes, 600 people. Yeah, yeah. we ended up raising $33,000 in one wow. night. And that was, again, a testament to we had a massive group at that point, about 20-something people. And we were able to, and a lot of that money was from a silent auction. So we were able to go around town and solicit auction items and and then with the attendance and donations and things like that of that night it was just a massive success so then we clearly made that our cornerstone event and we've done it three times and that was just the one in march or whenever it was yeah and that was huge i mean how how much money did you all end up raising from that most recent one because that kind of seemed to finally put the nail in the coffin get the stuff really rolling after that one yeah that was really that on that night we literally surpassed five hundred thousand dollars raised in five years of course you know we've had a ton of expenses with 
you know, just running this business sure. and, and, and putting on all of these events and things like that. But we've been able to set up our programs and fund this documentary in that amount of time because of all that, all those donations. It's, it's incredible. Well, I never thought we would ever. And you that. all had that amazing, uh, comedy night at Chaminade. Yeah. I mean, that was really cool. Nikki Glaser was there. Mm -hmm. Glazer, Glaser, I forget. Glazer. Glazer. Nikki Glazer yeah. was there. That was cool. Uh, the brothers. The were, Sklar brothers. The Sklar brothers. Yeah, yep. I've seen them all over the place. I was like, holy oh, cow, yeah. they're coming to this thing. Love it's that. awesome, yeah, right? They're, yeah, and, they're and good the, people. Then the debut of the 15-minute uh, thing you all pieced together, 15 teaser? minutes or so. Is that teaser? Five, is that the five teaser? Minutes? Yeah, okay. yeah. That, that was really impressive because... You know, I remember seeing the original one you all put out, which was just an iPhone thing. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really followed along because I was away at law school, wasn't in, wasn't in Missouri, didn't really follow along too much. And I watch as this is playing, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're doing the real thing. This is really amazing, the quality. It's Hollywood quality. Oh, yeah. The, tra the transition, I mean, from going to a iPhone quality, you know, because I, I didn't know production. about this. I, and, did, and I didn't come into it until later, and I see this full-length documentary and people are going to watch this and be and there it'll be their first exposure to project wake up and they're like okay who are these guys in the documentary i'm here to say like it's a award-winning quality Thank you. documentary i mean you would if you saw this i mean i'd expect to see it on maybe amazon or you know something like that or netflix or i mean it's it's out of this world i mean that's amazing. the hope man you know we it's funny and like I, I didn't want to say this until we had the private screenings because I think it's something that after the fact people are like no way but we shot this for an eighth of the average documentary budget for a Hollywood yeah. film and so three hundred thousand know, dollars around is how much it cost us to make this over the last two years and I think it looks like it cost a couple million dollars. Yeah, I mean, at least, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. those, you know, the drone shots alone, but then just, you know, the lighting, the scoring, like, yeah. you know, there's so much that went into this, and that's just a testament to Nate and his vision, and also his, just his ability to get shit done. Like, and the I, crew. Yeah. yeah. We had the fortune of having one of, I, I'm telling you, this guy is going to be famous, a famous cinematographer, director of photography. And Nate is incredibly talented, but they are so new to the career that they are not charging those rates yet. So yeah. and, and it's like course, having the full amount of the talent without yeah. having all of the, you know, it's a, it's, it's like getting, an expansion yeah. team. It's like right. Mike Trout before you knew he was Mike Trout. Exactly, you know? man. It's, it's, it was all things had to be perfect for it to be the way it is for the price it was. And, I, and how, how much, what was, so it was $300,000. And so you have, how much have you all raised so far? More than Total. half a million now. A million. Yeah, just a little over half a million, and then it cost about $300,000 to make this film. Yeah. And we've also, obviously, we made that 12-minute film. We made right. a PSA in 2017. We endowed a scholarship at the University of Missouri. That has really? $50,000 mm -hmm. in it. So, I mean, we've we've spread our money around pretty well to, to get us to this point and beyond and help a lot of people. And, and all from a bunch of 22-year-olds, seniors in college, sitting around, after the devastating loss of their friend and trying to do something finally about this really huge national problem. Uh, that's huge. We had a guy on just now before you guys came in, Tony Thompson, talking about the importance of why wait? Why, why wait? Why wait? You know, when you're 22 years old, you feel like, well, I can't really do anything. But you guys are proving the opposite of that. You all actually got together, said, I, let's, we got a plan. We're going to do this. Let's freaking go out and do this. Execute now. it. Let's yeah. execute go do it. it. We want to. We are feeling pain, and we want to express that in a way to make sure that other people people do not have to feel that pain. And it's really amazing, amazing the work you all have done over the past five years to be able to get to the point where now you're hoping to get a potential streaming service or anybody to pick up this film. I mean, this is a huge, huge accomplishment, and this is. You ever sit back and just think to yourself, wow, this is really, really happening. This is really amazing that we, we've gotten to this point all for Ryan, you know? I think, I think that we're wired to the point where we won't have that moment until it's done. Yeah. Until mm -hmm. we have that contract in our hands from Netflix or wherever. And, and at that point, I think we'll finally rest. But uh, it, it, it's always been important to me to really step up for the people who initially believed in this and that's what it has taken it, it it's it's a lot 
for people to go through tragedy and and a lot of times people get that that experiential passion to do something but yeah. it's hard for them to continue on and follow through with it because it is hard to com- continually reopen those wounds i mean right. you can't disassociate this with ryan you can't right. disassociate any project with whoever the loved one is that inspired it right. and so we wanted it to be different we wanted to see it through and we have I'm, yeah I'm and proud of you that. know that's not to say that this wasn't hard i mean like alex and i have full-time jobs he was in law school for three years and like this was a labor of love like these are not our full-time jobs but i think just the group of people that were together and recognizing you know the level that this could get to and now you know it feels like it can get to um hopefully will you know it just kept pushing us and there was so, there was just a greater good in this whole thing and that's what i hope that you know when we do sell this out to whoever it might be or get it into a film festival that they recognize that this isn't just you know another documentary that's going to collect dust on a psychologist's office right, right. You, you know it's this is really important and everybody who sees this might come out a little well, better and, from it and i want to talk about the real people who were involved in stepping up and actually telling their story it, it, because that's what that's one it, of the it most was very touching it was extremely touching because this is one of the most difficult things for anybody anybody to talk about whether it's depression or anxiety or, or suicidal thoughts it's incredibly difficult for anybody to want to talk about especially somebody who's you know tried to commit suicide before like um uh the 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 uh, desiree. photographer desiree the photographer mm-hmm. coming out yeah. and doing that let's talk a little bit about these folks that you all were able to interview and your team interviewed. I mean, right. her, her story is amazing. You know, she tried to commit suicide, yeah. tried, to, tried to kill herself. It is, th- those are the stories that I think are the most effective. Right. You need to hear from people who were in that moment about to make that final decision right. and then woke up and have another chance at life and are so happy that they made that decision. And tell, tell the folks what she's doing now. She is, she's in a, she's involved in, created a, a charity called Live Through This. And she is a photographer. So she finds other suicide attempt survivors. She takes a portrait of them and writes a big bio about their story. Lets them tell their story of their struggles, what led them to that point and how they feel about still being here. And again, that is, I think, the most important way that we can prevent suicide. Yeah, I mean, personally speaking, I always find myself, it's t- I find myself to be difficult to be really moved at times, especially when you're, you work in the legal field, depending on what you do. I'm sure like for nurses as well. But, you know, when you do personal injury, wrong, you see some wrongful death stuff where it's really sad for the families. You see some criminal defense stuff or whatever, where it's or prosecutor stuff if, if you do that, and you get desensitized right. to things. But you know what really touched me in the movie was a time, and I don't want to spoil too much because I know people are going to watch it. But there was a particular scene, and it it still gets at me, uh, where a veteran, you had that veteran who was uh, telling his story, and he had he his job in the service was casualty extraction. I mean, that alone, first of all, was like, wow, that's it's going to have an effect on you. I I don't see how you could go into a a war zone and your job be to pull out dead bodies. Imagine that. Imagine you're trying to escape your own life back home. Uh, Yeah. And make something of your life in Oklahoma where it's from. And And you're taken to Iraq to pick up dead bodies. And and the worst thing about it for me was the thing that really touched me about it was, first of all, how genuine he was and sincere and willing to open up and tell a story. But also the way that, you know, he was dishonorably discharged, undoubtedly because of the effect that it had on him mentally. Yeah. And then was unable to get services for his mental health through the VA because of his dishonorable discharge. And it's, you know, he just wants to make himself better. He wants to be more healthy. And, you know, it, it's, it's got its – it just was so moving for me. It's still tough for me to talk about even. Yeah, you know? it, it, it is incredibly difficult, and it's such – a shame that that is the way that we reward people for serving our country and that it it highlights one of the many many things that needs to change in the way that we have accessible resources for for those who are suffering from mental illness let me ask you this you know we do a lot of you're an attorney and vince and i are attorneys uh, and danny and alex have you ever worked or talked about uh 
suicide awareness within the legal field at all? Have you touched that, or have you viewed that sort of, you know? Um, are, are you are you saying like the, the risk of suicide for attorneys? Yeah, sure. Oh, I mean, I haven't really spoken on it, but I'm very well aware of it. Uh, for, and it, and it's not just lawyers, but it's uh, doctors and and all sort of learning professionals. The suicide risk is much higher, obviously, for the for the stress and lifestyle that goes into it, the substance abuse, the every rate that you can think of is higher. And I think that we as attorneys, you know, really should focus and be able to discuss these things because a lot of the times we have to be the the you know the rock and the steady you know advocate. And sometimes it's you know, not sometimes all the time it's important to acknowledge that we have to keep ourselves in, in mind and, and we have to really try to keep everything under control in our own lives instead of having to manage right. everyone else's issues. I mean, so what is it to you that, uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the loss of a friend that, that moves you, but what continues to move you forward uh, and really bring awareness? You know, I mean, how do you keep reaching out, keep getting the next, I guess, to the next group? Well, I mean, I think that just the response to what they, has been seen already is enough to push us on to the finish line and beyond. You know, I always thought if we do this right, we can continue to be a leader in production of mental health media. And I think that is important because, you know, you alluded to those videos you watched in high school, yeah. middle school. The cheesy videos, yep. low production quality, ineffective—the ones, the ones that you remember for how horrible right. they were, yeah. not for what they were trying to convey. I think we have a real opportunity to reach a lot of people in a way that you walk away from our content, you say, "Wow, that was beautifully shot. That was intriguing, interesting. I learned a lot. There had good stories." And if we continue to make content like that, right. we can absolutely revolutionize the way that people. Mm -hmm are absorbing mental health information. Be because that's we're, push us. we're kind of at a tipping point in this country. You know, we're kind of at, I mean, the, the rates are at a 50-year high. Um, life expectancy is going down for the first time since World War One. Yep. Um, and mostly that is suicide and drug overdose and diseases of despair, mm -hmm. really. And, and that's something that is, uh, and a plague, an, an epidemic in this country and we're so afraid to actually talk about it. You know, we talk about these shooters who are going around, the guy in Ohio, the guy in El Paso is a different story because he's got his own prejudices and biases, but the guy in, in, in uh, at the- Dayton. In Dayton, I meant, yeah, Dayton. I mean, that, that we talk about, you know, he's mentally ill and all this sort of stuff, but that's not really what the conversation should necessarily be about. It should be about regular people who are suffering from this, everyday depression, anxiety, frustration with their own place in life, who are abusing drugs or trying to find some release from a lot of the pain that they're going through right now, because there's a lot of pain out there. Mm -hmm. right. No matter how good the economy is doing, there's still a lot of pain and people who are reeling and feeling this disturbance. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's, it's a question of how then, and right. how do you get people that access to healthcare because a lot of these people are below the threshold right now of, of you know having health insurance and you know having the means to do this and so you know not to get too political but if it's a discussion about mental illness with you know mass shooters and things like that like then you can't repeal the you oh, know right. everything that was in the Affordable Care Act, you can't get rid of that. Right, yeah, I mean, right. like, you can't have both sides of the coin. Like, you can't just say it's a mental illness thing and then do nothing about it right. or even do negative, so to speak, to treat the problem. Like, right. you know, you have to practice what you preach. But it also seems to me, and I was thinking about this more, and you actually bring it up some in the movie, too, um, is the um, social media and just media in general that's driving that, rate up. I, in my opinion, I think that's part of what causes it because people feel this isolation. But there's also this social expectation, especially among men, especially as among white men, and I, you know, it, it might be controversial for some to talk about this, but I don't think it is. The rate among white men is extremely high. And part of that is being from the dominant group in society, so-called dominant power dynamic in society, is that high expectation for a lot of these guys and that, that sort of... Um, you know, 
ruggedness and for a lot of these rural people, especially communities from rural communities, um, that manly man mentality yeah, that man everyone up. everyone has to be just a man about stuff. And I've seen this in driving on Interstate 70 and 55 um, billboards about suicidal thoughts, like if guys in hunting gear, mm -hmm. because that's really the demographic that's really on the uptick among um, heroin abuse and, and suicide and depression and things like that. And you all touched on that in the movie. I don't know if you all can speak. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just stigma all over again. Yeah. And that, you know, the there's this idea that these are the people that have to carry a lot of the burden and weight of, you know, whether it's their families or the people around them that they take care of. And it's okay to reach out, but we're, we live in a country where that's not the norm. And so my hope is that, you know, people can see the veterans' stories or things like that. And if they are struggling, say, wow, if this person can do it, so can I. And so, you know, I think people just need that nudge towards, you know, it's okay to reach out for help, whether whether that's to your support system or to, you know, a trained licensed professional, as long as you get help, there's, you know, there's hope. And right. and right now we don't have that. Right. There's no stigma. There, 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 should, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be that. Um, right. And, and I, you know, I think that that's the clearest message that the film tries to send yeah. is that we can break down like, like stigma. It's not something where you have to put money in place to fix a problem. It's right. literally just society's invisible layer of whatever this is. And right. so, you know, everybody who watches it, I really think will feel compelled that stigma is something that we all can break down. Right. Cause we talk about heart disease, preventative care for heart disease. Right. We talk about diabetes. We talk about all cancer, these, all the cancer, right, all yeah. these things are all out in the open, all these health issues that we have. But for whatever reason, unless it's brain cancer, we don't talk about what's going on inside your head. We don't talk about because you can't see thoughts. it. You can't see it. And right. so, and, but that's the thing is, we need to start treating mental illnesses the same way that we do physical injuries. Nobody chooses to tear their ACL on a run. Right. Nobody chooses to have depression. These things are not mutually exclusive. You know, nobody nobody wants to have these things. So why can't we treat it the same way as a physical injury? And the moment that we start doing that, people are going to feel a lot more permission and they're going to feel empowered to reach out and get help. And to, right. and to me, you know, the brand of the documentary makes a lot of sense. It's there. You can see it. It's affected all of us, but people are sleeping on it. That's what, you know, I see, I see that as the wake up people. It's here. Yeah. Say something about it. You know what I mean? And did you come up with that? Yeah. You really could have gone into PR if you uh, didn't do law. <laughs> Never too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm always thinking that well, it's well, never give us too a, late. Give us your, your plug, I guess. And the documentary, I guess, is going to be released to the public. We've seen the private screening and obviously give it five-star reviews you know, yeah. all the Love way it. through. But give us your plug on uh, your release, anything you, any information you got to, to get out. It's a process. So, you know, obviously we've never done this. Even Nate, our director, hasn't done this before from the sense of we need to pick this up from a national perspective. Right. So we're working with an organization who serendipitously went to college with Nate. They're a husband-wife duo that uh, run a company called Paxeros Creative. And so they are very well connected in the industry, and they're taking the first steps towards getting us meetings with Amazon, Netflix, HBO. We're submitting to Sundance by the end of the month. Is that amazing or what? It, it is, Maybe. but you know it's a political festival, and so yeah. it's not about the merit of the film. It's about who we know right. and um, if we can really get this in front of the right people. So we're attacking it from all angles, and you know we have people you know, just through friends and family that know people. And essentially it's just, can we build the biggest advocate base to get this film out to the right people? But, you know, your guys' praise is greatly appreciated. And we knew that we were onto something when we first saw the rough cut in May. And I just, I think that it would be crazy if a major platform didn't pick this up, both from the production quality of it, but also, you know, Hollywood's a very ROI driven industry right. and, you know, you need to make money on your films and that's fine. This film can make money, but you're also doing a very important social good by picking it up as well. So to me, it's a very easy sell. It's just a matter of getting it in front of them. The and timing seems right. Right. The timing seems right. When a lot of people are starting to discuss these these challenges that everyone's facing um, every day, you know, and I, th I think that you all are really on the cusp of something really, really magical here in terms of how it's going to change people's lives because this is a life-changing movie you know i mean you talk about ryan well let's talk about uh the the zilberich kid i forget mm -hmm. what his name keller. is. keller keller let's talk uh, yeah. about him and his family and talk about i mean his parents their only child as far as i understand mm -hmm. it now going around and speaking to other young men about 
this. Give us give us a story there and how you all came into contact with them. And also to, to just to touch on that, I'd like to hear a little bit about the I guess post traumatic. Uh, it's not what's growth. Growth post post traumatic yeah. growth. I think that's uh, that was really uh, caught fire with me too. So I, I want to learn a little bit about that. So post traumatic growth is essentially when you experience a severe tragedy and for some reason or another, it actually creates sort of a positive change inside of you. And I think that's what happened with me. Um, it, you know, I gave two eulogies from two best friends before I was 22 for suicide. And, you know, that's, that's tragic. And it could have taken me down kind of any path. It could have really ruined my life. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I was one of the lucky folks who would experience that post-traumatic growth and, and use that passion to create this entire thing. And that's exactly what happened with the Zivliches as yeah. well, Michael and Gail. Their son, Keller, uh, was a lot like Ryan. Everybody loved the kid. He was a leader, uh, bright future ahead of him. Um, no one saw it coming either. And after Keller passed, the Zivliches turned their grief into passion to help others. And they go around the country doing sort of TED Talks and speaking, universities and high schools, everything. And, and it's really inspiring. Uh, one of my favorite parts of, of the film, actually, is, is just seeing their, their story and, and their arc kind of come to where it is now of, of, of a place of just passion and inspiration. Um, I think um, I think that Mr. Ziblich is literally the poster poster child for uh, post traumatic growth because he, I mean, he lost his only son. You know, losing losing Ryan, losing my best friend that that's hard. But I could never imagine the feeling of a parent losing a child, let alone by suicide. So the fact that he has turned into an, an advocate and has and will save lives is just remarkable. Yeah, it's, it was pretty moving to see that because, you know, obviously none of us here are parents, but I can only imagine what that would be like to have to lose your only son, the son you raised, to, to that awful, awful thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the growth, I mean, what, what an amazing testament to Mr. Zilbich and his wife. I mean, what, what an amazing testament to their ability to turn that grief into action. Yeah. And that's what, exactly what yeah. you guys have done with this thing, is and turn it, grief into action. And it brought a, a, an upbeat tempo to the documentary, too. Right. It was like not just a, this is terrible, you know, we're all sad. We, it's, ter it's terrible. And we are all very uh, we are moved sad. by yeah. it. We are sad by it. Uh, but it's to say, people are taking action. Yeah. And uh, it, it's you using them as an example, you know, yourselves as an example, of taking a real step forward to do something about it. And I loved post-traumatic growth. That's like my new favorite yeah. yeah. tagline, yeah, you know, because Alex bad. was talking about it on yeah. his social media, and I was like, yeah. I love this. This is so yeah. cool. I mean, you don't walk out of this thing just totally like, gosh, that was super heavy. You know, no, it's yeah. heavy, but you don't walk out right. of it like I'm depressed now and You're sad inspired. about all this happening. You feel inspired. Yeah. That's what's so amazing about what you've yeah. been able to do is the way that you guys and Nate crafted the stories to inform about this really terrible thing, but also uplift. That was really, really amazing what you all been able to turn to, to make. I mean, it was just really, really phenomenal. I'm really excited for people to, to see this um, because it's going to change people's lives. Thank you. Thanks. It's going to save lives, I think, too. Yeah, that's the hope. All yeah. right, guys, Project Wake Up. This is your guys' uh, This is your guys' cue. I always tell people that as we start to wind down we, with, with our guests, you know, the typical thing is, what could you tell to your possible law student, lawyer, uh, young professional? But I think this applies to anybody, no matter what, who watches this. What do you have to say, the one thing, you get one thing to say to somebody that you think is struggling uh, with this, with this, uh, you know, mental health, and they need help? What is your one thing? Don't be afraid to reach out. It's that simple. Um, a lot of people carry their their own burdens. You know, we have these wristbands that say "Check on your strong friends." And yeah, for I got us, that one on too. Yeah. So I can represent that. Um, you know, whether it's you proactively reaching out or you watching over your friends, if there's one thing that that I hope this film does is it gives everybody a little bit extra empathy and you know 
care for their friends because we can save lives in the easiest of ways. You never know what somebody's going through. And so if you can just check on them and um, or or reach out to somebody if you need it, you never know whose life you might save. Well, Alex? Well, um, you know, I, I would echo everything Danny said. I think also one thing that I hope is a result of this film is that people who watch it truly make a change within themselves about the way that they treat folks who have mental illness and not just for a couple of days or for a few weeks, but for the rest of their lives. I hope that people walk away with a portion of the experiential passion that Danny and I felt from losing loved ones to suicide without having to lose them. And I think that our film can really incite the change needed. And it doesn't take much. It just takes someone to say, okay, now I get this. This isn't as, as, as crazy as it, as it has seemed for so many years. This is something that I can be compassionate about and help others feel comfortable to reach out because that one little lifeline that you can throw out to somebody will save lives. It's as simple as that. Sure. So Alex, I really appreciate that. And Danny, final thought here. How do you get involved? How, how can you donate if you'd like to contribute to the cause? And then how do you spread the message that you guys are putting out? Well, first off, we got a few events coming up. So um, check out projectwakeup.org for those. But we have a golf tournament coming up Saturday, September 14th. By the time this airs, it'll probably be sold out, but we could always use um, whole sponsors, beer donations, so that's always help, uh, a, a big help for us. Also having a trivia night coming up in March at SLU, so we could always use silent auction donations, but there will be enough tables that we definitely want people to come out for that. If you want to donate, you can visit projectwakeup.org and do so by that. Um, we also have a Venmo because we're 26, and that's what people do. <laughs> love it. And love so it. just at Project Wake Up on Venmo, if you feel so compelled, um, we would greatly appreciate that. Anything Nailed else to add? Dale, that was pretty good. Fantastic. Yeah, you got, you got the spiel down. You I love it. got that down. Hey, guys, thank you all so much for being Thank you for here. having us, man. I, 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 really, I really enjoyed this conversation. No, keep this up. You're doing a really cool thing here, so we appreciate you well, giving us a platform. And we'll be back with, uh, to test out your uh, uh, idea that you have for a podcast, too, at some point, maybe. I, I, I like that. Yeah, all right. Thanks, guys. You're we'll see you. out, Vince? Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, be sure to like us on Instagram, social media, whatever it might be, and then be sure to um, what's your at? What's your at? What's what our at? Outside are we at? the Law Podcast. You outside can find us on anything podcast? at Outside the Law Podcast. Apple, Spotify, yeah. Instagram, Facebook. Go do it, Twitter. and then for sure, absolutely go to ProjectWakeUp.org exactly. because that's the most important thing here. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.